Good evening everyone and welcome to our first midweek podcast for Movilla Presbyterian Church for July 2022. I'm Margaret Garrett and our Minister Robert has asked me to take part tonight along with our speaker the Reverend Paul Bailey. It's great to be able to take this time together in fellowship with our God. The Psalmist David writes this when he was speaking of God in Psalm 9 verse 10. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. This is our God. He's faithful always. Let's seek him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can take this time together to feed on your word, to praise you and to come to you and be nourished. Help us to settle our hearts and minds and focus on you, leaving all the busyness of the world aside. Whatever our day has held so far, you've been with us every moment to guide, protect and bless. Help us draw closer to you in this time together. Bless Paul as he brings your word, and may each of us apply it in our lives. Father, you're worthy of all praise, honour and glory, and we come joyfully before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first praise tonight is Creation Sings a Father's Song by Keith and Kristen Getty. Let's join our hearts and voices as we praise our God and Father.
shall reign upon the earth. The bitter wars that rage are birth pains of a coming age. When in news from land and sky, all hell will sing and earth reply with one resplendent This is Paul Bailey. I want to start with a big thank you to the Reverend Robert Hamilton for permitting me to take part in your podcasts once again. It really is a great pleasure and a privilege. And This year I've been asked to tackle the subject of the book of Deuteronomy, which is actually quite a big topic, it would have to be said. Deuteronomy is over 30 chapters long, and some of those chapters are quite substantial, so it's not really possible within the compass of just four short podcasts to deal with every single item of interest within Deuteronomy. But we'll pick out a few things which hopefully will be of use and benefit to the congregation. Well, as usual, when we're starting a Bible study together, we consider a few key issues by way of introduction. And the first topic to think about is authorship, who wrote the book of Deuteronomy. And that's not a very difficult one to answer in point of fact. It's quite clear from the internal evidence of the book that the vast majority of the book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses. You'll notice there that I say the vast majority of the book The very end of Deuteronomy records Moses' death. Personally, I have no great difficulty with the possibility that a second author or editor wrote those portions of the book and the rest belongs to Moses, but some people actually do think that Moses prophetically wrote about his own death. Now, that's certainly not impossible, but personally I just find it simpler to think that God raised up a second divinely inspired author to record Moses' death. Second question that might then be asked is, what is the date of the book? Well, if you happen to have a good study Bible, or perhaps you've been consulting a commentary about Deuteronomy, what you'll see there is that different scholars come to different conclusions in this regard. But personally, I take a kind of a conservative approach to the dating of Deuteronomy, and my assumption is that this is around the year 1400 BC, give or take. The context is that the children of Israel have exited from Egypt. They have spent a very lengthy period of time wandering in the wilderness, and they've now crossed the plains of Moab, and they stand on the cusp of entry into the Promised Land. But because Moses has fallen into sin in the past, 
Moses himself is not going to be permitted to enter into the promised land. Perhaps the most important element of an introduction to the whole of Deuteronomy is its structure and its contents. If you were to come and sign up for a theology degree at Union College or Belfast Bible College or wherever, and you were studying the book of Deuteronomy, this is one of the things that you would actually devote a good deal of time to looking into. Again, it's one of those areas where there isn't complete consensus amongst scholars, even amongst conservative evangelical scholars. There are different ways of looking at the structure of Deuteronomy. One of the most popular ways of looking at Deuteronomy is to consider it as a covenant, or that it is laid out in the structure of a covenant from the second millennium BC, in other words, over 2,000 years before the time of Christ. And this is certainly true to say that Deuteronomy in its structure is very, very similar to the covenants that have been recovered from that period of history. And they all pretty much follow a very similar structure, which is title, and then a kind of a prologue, some historical details, and then the requirements of the covenant, and then text of the covenant is mentioned, particularly with reference to where it's going to be stored and where it's going to be read, and then witnesses are invoked, and then lastly there are blessings and curses attached to the covenant. That is very much the way that Deuteronomy is laid out, And so many scholars will say, yes, uh, it is clear that Deuteronomy has been laid out in the style of an ancient covenant. So when Moses wrote this book, he was writing in a style that his readers back in those days would immediately recognize as a covenantal text. And I can certainly accept that. But the other way of looking at the book is to see it as a series of speeches by Moses, which in many ways closely align themselves with those different elements of a covenantal text. Speech 1 is found in chapter 1 through to the end of chapter 4, and this speech emphasizes a necessity of keeping the law. The second speech begins at the very end of chapter 4 and runs really the whole way through to chapter 28, and it emphasizes the absolute necessity of worshipping God and obeying God. The third speech is found in chapters 29 and 30, and it very much focuses upon covenant renewal and future hope. And then finally, last but certainly not least, the last four chapters of the book very much emphasize the period of future planning and the period after the death of Moses. And so, because I think it particularly suits our purposes for these podcasts, I'm going to look at each of the three speeches, one after the other, and then our final podcast will look at the end of Deuteronomy and the death of Moses and the rise of Joshua. So I hope that's all quite clear. But I would emphasize this, and in fact, if you remember this and nothing else, that Deuteronomy is indeed a covenantal document. It's all about maintaining our relationship with God.
And that is at the heart of everything that is in Deuteronomy. And unless we grasp that from the very outset, then I think the whole thing is going to be very difficult to understand. But so long as we have grasped that from the outset, that Deuteronomy is all about reviewing and comprehending and putting into practice the covenantal relationship with God, then we will understand Deuteronomy. But that leads me actually to one last point of introduction about Deuteronomy and what does the word Deuteronomy actually mean. It's interesting, Deuteronomy means second law. And some people, I think, miss the point in that name second law in thinking that it is simply a restatement of the law just a second time, almost like a a repetition of all that has gone before in Exodus Leviticus numbers. But I think that does miss the point a little bit. This is a statement of the law for a new generation. A new generation of Israelites had been born. The old sinful generation of Israelites had passed away, and now the law is being restated to them so that they would not make the same mistakes as their predecessors. So once again, just to emphasize this, Deuteronomy is all about covenant keeping and the centrality and the indispensable nature of having that relationship with the Lord God of Israel. And Moses was emphasizing to that new generation that were about to cross the Jordan to go into the promised land, that they could only enjoy the blessings of the promised land if they obeyed the law. Anyway, let's keep going and see what we can make then of this first speech that runs from chapter 1 through to the almost the very end of chapter 4. And I'm going to suggest to you that there are really four things that go on in this particular section. Moses addresses the people and he invites them to look back He invites them to look inwards. He invites them to look downwards. And then he invites them to look upwards. Now, what on earth do I mean by all this? Well, what I mean in the first place is that he invites them or commands them, if you prefer, to look backwards. And he gets them to look backwards into the history of the nation of Israel. That review of the history of Israel really dominates chapters 1, 2, and 3. It is a survey of what happens after the nation is commanded to leave Horeb, otherwise known as Mount Sinai. It contains several high points, such as the defeat of the the kings and the other enemies of Israel along the way. But it also contains many low points including rebellion against the Lord, wandering in the wilderness, and perhaps, saddest of all, Moses being forbidden to cross the Jordan into the Promised Land. But all this looking back into the history of Israel is not just meaningless. It has a purpose. For at the end of it all, in chapter 3, verse 25, Moses can say to the Lord, For what God is there, in heaven or on earth, who can do the deeds and mighty works that you do. 
This is only one of a great many places in the Old Testament scriptures where Israel looks back on God's great saving deeds. And we'll think about application of that later on, but I think it goes without saying that all of us who call upon the name of the Lord should look back and consider the great blessings that he has bestowed upon each and every one of us. Well, we have to keep moving on, and we turn then to chapter 4. And we think of chapter 4, verses 1 to 14, where Moses commands the Israelites to be obedient to God. And this is what I mean when I say Moses commands them or invites them to look inwards. They have to examine themselves and ask whether or not they are actually really living in obedience to God's word. Moses here states positively and negatively the requirement to be obedient. Negatively speaking, he reminds the people that disobedience to God's word brings about destruction. But Moses also sets forth the glories of obeying the word of God and the wonderful blessing that obedience to God's word brings. He says in chapter 4 verse 6, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great to have their gods near them, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws, I am setting before you today. So, as I say, when we come to our conclusions later on, we'll try to apply this. But again, it goes without saying, I think, that throughout Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, that there is an unbreakable duty placed upon the people of God, whether it be the ancient people of Israel or those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to wholeheartedly and devotedly follow the Lord God as he reveals himself to us in his word. We'll think more about that later. The third thing that Moses in these set of instructions tells us to do is to look downwards. And by that I mean to look at one of the most serious and foul sins in the eyes of God, and that is the sin of idolatry. He says in chapter 4, verse 15, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars, All the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. Later in the same chapter, he warns the people of Israel that if they do commit idolatry, the Lord will expel them from the land and scatter them to the foreign nations. And if you know your Old Testament history, as I'm sure many listening do, That is exactly what happened. Time after time after time, the people of Israel fell into idolatry and consequently the Lord sent them into exile. The ten northern tribes of Israel were sent into exile in the year 721, an exile from which they never returned. 
and then in the year 586, the tribe of Judah was sent into exile in Babylon. It's perhaps difficult for us, even as Christian believers, to fully grasp how much God hates idolatry. But when we realize that he was prepared to send his own people, Israel, into exile and to spew them out of the promised land because of their idolatry, we get a sense of just how seriously God views this sin. But even amongst these very strong warnings from Moses, there are words of hope. For he finishes this section on idolatry with verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God, and he will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. And by that, Moses is promising forgiveness, that God never remains angry forever, and where there is repentance, there is restoration. And that's why Judah eventually did indeed return from exile. It was delivered out of Babylon and restored once again to fellowship with God and restored to the land. And finally, Moses instructs us to look upwards to the Lord our God, chapter 4, verses 32 to 40. In many ways, this is a kind of climactic summary of all that has gone before, as once again, Moses reminds the people of the great saving acts of God, all the blessings that God has showered down upon his people. And he concludes with these wonderful words. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today, so that may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Well, friends, our time in this podcast is nearly up. But before we go, I think it's important that we seek to draw some conclusions and applications of all the things that we've heard from Deuteronomy. Let's look really in two ways at what we've heard. Let's think of, first of all, of looking at ourselves, looking inwards and also looking downwards. We look inwards to consider whether or not we are obeying God as we ought, whether or not we have aligned ourselves with the Word of God as we ought. And we look downwards, in particular, the sin of idolatry. And perhaps we need to ask ourselves, are we harboring idols, secret idols, even idols that we barely can acknowledge, that somehow or other stop us from following God and obeying God in Christ as we ought. Now, I suspect we could have whole sermon series on that particular issue. But what I'm going to say, perhaps simplistically, is this, that unless we are fully conversant with what the demands of Scripture are upon our lives, well, then we will never know whether or not we have lapsed into false practice. And indeed, as we are increasingly aware and steeped in the scriptures, we will then become more and more aware of the ways in which we are following falsehoods and idols. 
I have to say I think that we live in a particularly dangerous period of time within the church worldwide. We see increasing biblical illiteracy. In so many churches up and down Ireland and right across the world, good, solid biblical teaching has been abandoned and it has been replaced with, in some places, feel-good preaching that emphasizes lovely anecdotes that make us glow inwardly and self-help tips and things like that. And in other places, it has been replaced with an emphasis upon a political and ideological agenda which originates from outside of Scripture. And these are both deadly, dangerous tendencies. And where these tendencies exist, idolatry surely follows. Where you replace the centrality of Christ with a gospel of health and wealth and feel good and living your best life, well, the fact is that's all about glorifying human beings. It's all about satisfying human beings. It's not about glorifying and satisfying God. And likewise, where politics or various philosophies and ideologies reign supreme in the pulpit. This is a glorification of the will and the supposed wisdom of mere human beings. It is not that perfect and beautiful and unparalleled wisdom that alone is found in the Word of God. So my friends, the simple truth is the Scriptures must be supreme. And where the Scripture reigns supreme, idolatry will be exposed And once it is exposed, it can be dealt with. But let's finish with the other two parts. And this is really very much a high point for us to end upon. Let us look backwards and let us look upwards. And in many ways, that is one and the same thing. As Christians, we can look back at the great saving acts of God, just as ancient Israel did. But for us, we have something even greater than the exodus or the entrance into the promised land. We can look back at the supreme saving act in all of human history, in all the world, in all the universe. And that is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, which decisively dealt with sin once and for all and defeated Satan and all the powers and principalities that stood opposed against us. So we look back with joy at the wonders that have been performed by God in Christ for us when we were still sinners, when we were still enemies of God, that we might have salvation and peace for all eternity with the Lord our God. And that allows us then as we look backwards, we can also then look forwards and upwards, that we look keeping our eyes fixed upon Christ, author and perfecter of our faith, as the one who will indeed look after us all the days of our earthly life, for he is the Lord of both heaven and earth. He is the Lord of the present and he is the Lord of things to come. He is the Lord who has come to us in the past 
as humble saviour. He is the Lord who will return to us as the all-conquering sovereign Messiah at whose name every knee shall bow. Deuteronomy speaks to us of a covenantal relationship with God that brings remarkable and unsearchable blessing. But for us as Christians, we have even greater blessings in Christ, for we are the new Israel, inheritors of the new covenant in Christ's blood, inheritors not of an earthly promised land, but inheritors of the kingdom of heaven and eternal life with our heavenly Father. Amen. just listen to Lion Be the Glory and I hope everyone enjoyed that beautiful praise item. It's time now on our podcast to come to prayers for others so 
let's join together as we bring people and situations before our faithful God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you in the name of Jesus. He makes it possible for us to know you as our Father and to enjoy all the benefits of your grace and power. Father, we want to praise you as a holy, righteous, almighty God who is rich in love and mercy. We think tonight of those known to us who are very ill at this time and finding life difficult. We ask that you would bring them peace and comfort. May they be aware of your love for them and your presence with them. May any treatments or appointments or test results come through on time and prove to be helpful. Please bless family members who are caring for sick relatives and give them the strength and hope to go on day by day. Thank you for the access we have to medical care and be with us all in our health be with all in our health and care systems who on a daily basis have so many people to treat. Father, for those who have known bereavement in recent days, we ask that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, would be their guide and support as they mourn and that they would find peace in you. Lord, we ask for your blessing on those worldwide who are trying to bring peace in countries facing war or terrorism. Guide those engaged in talks and negotiations that those who have suffered so much might again be able to live normal lives in peace and security. Father, we ask that you be with politicians locally and in our UK government who are facing great problems with national security, the economy, healthcare and other issues, all the things we see in the headlines. Help them to consider the needs of all of the people and to make good decisions and laws that honour you. Lord, we remember your church worldwide and pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution and exclusion because of their faith. May they always be aware that you are their stronghold and that others are supporting them in prayer and in practical means. Father, we ask that you would help our children and young people and all involved in our church organisations to enjoy the summer break and return refreshed in the new season. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hear and answer all of our prayers as you see best for us. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's join in the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Night, everyone.